0: Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. And I pray, Lord, as we open up a passage we're actually familiar with, because we were just in it a few weeks ago, that you'll help us to see um, with new eyes. Help us, Lord, to see that. Help us to see um, the beauty of coming before you in sacrificial ways, but also what it means to to linger in that. That it wouldn't be something that we just do off and on, but it would be something that's a practice of every day. Help us, Lord. We love you. Amen. So, Genesis chapter 8. I have notes all over the place, so I'll have to grab and move and get. Are these my notes for this? No. Are these? Yes. Nope, that's an announcement. Ah, here it is. Okay. Uh, We start in Genesis 8. We know what has happened here. This is after Noah has been on the ark for what we believe is about a year. Now, often we talk about the 40 days, 40 nights of rain, the floods, but when we, we did this a couple months ago, that this is, in effect, almost a year of being trapped on that boat. Um, I saw a meme. I, I didn't put it up here because I didn't know if it would offend you. Uh, there was a meme that hit my uh, social media feed of, like towards the end, before they're getting out of the ark, and it just says the ark, and it says, uh, well, these are the last unicorns. (laughs) And so it's like there's kind of that, like, and I I, I mean, I don't. Anyway, but there was a funny take, but then I I was reading it going, you know, you think about being trapped on the ark for a year. You're stuck. You're there. You're going through the motions, it's the same day every day, it's the same probably meals. We know, we, we talked earlier uh, about how the, some of the animals on the ark were actually there as sacrifices, that the actual idea of sacrificial lambs, and there's enough food there for them to eat, and so they're going to be very diligent with that. But can you imagine just being trapped? Like, I like a good road trip. I really do. I would almost prefer to drive than fly in almost every situation unless I need to get there fast or it's like over an ocean. I'm not really into ocean passaging. But if it's the difference between, you know, hey, we're going to take a road trip, we're going to drive, there's so much fun that happens in the road trip. There's so much conversation. There's so much potential. There's so much, well, I can just veer off and hit this place. Or you give your kids access to Yelp or to some other app and they find a random restaurant to eat some crazy food, local stuff that you'd never, like there's a beauty in that road trip. There's a beauty in traveling and being in a plane, and I've done the 36-hour journey to Nepal, and there's like, oh, this is cool, and I'm flying over, and you're watching. But don't all of us, at the end of every one of those, get out of that car, get off that plane and go, thank Jesus I'm out of that thing. That airplane becomes a giant tube of body odor and smells and flatulence real fast when you're in there for 14 hours. You're in the car with a teenage boy, happens even faster like, did you take your shoes off, son? Put those back on. And we all, we hit the rest stop and you stretch your legs. Like, oh, I can't believe we vow we're going to buy a better vehicle with softer seats. All of that stuff. Now, magnify that to a year. And Noah is getting off this boat. He's getting off this boat. He's going to stretch his legs. He's only walked the same length in cubits of boat he's been able to walk. He's not been able to really stretch his legs. He's not really. He's breathing salt air, sea air, water air. I'm not sure how with the salt content during the flood. But there's all these things he's dealing with. And he finally, and then the interpersonal stuff. He's with his wife and his family for a year trapped. Now, I'm sure they had spots they would go hide and get away from each other. But we all know, like, I love my family. But there's the moment where you're like, I could use some air. So all of that is wrapped up into this moment. And we're going to see what he does first. Okay? Then God said, no, go out from the ark, you and your wife and your sons and your sons' wives with you. Bring out with you every living thing that is with you of all flesh, birds and animals and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, that they may swarm on the earth and be fruitful and multiply on the earth. So Noah went out, and his sons and his wife and his sons' wives with them. Every beast, every creeping thing, every bird, everything that moves on the earth went out by families from the ark. So everything is being released. I bet this took a little time. I doubt they just had an automatic like, prison system with the jail cell, and they throw a lever, and the doors open, and they all just run. You probably had to stage it out. can't have the lions running out with this one, because they're just going to eat them real fast, because they've been trapped too. They probably, like This is going to take some time. And so they release all of their first task. After being rescued, everything is dead. They've dealt with the trauma of knowing that everything is gone. And then they're here saying, release. They release it all out. And then they have this spot. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man, for the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. So, a couple things happening in this passage. We've talked about this, so it should be reviewed. They're all out, and then Noah builds an altar. And he takes some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Why would he do that? I think it's what we've just kind of discussed. Even when there's a wreck and you hear about it and you're in, you have a, a reaction. like, oh. But then there's also the thankfulness of, I, I, it's not my family. Like you're thankful to the Lord for protecting your family, but you're also grieving for this family and asking the Lord to move in this matter for this family. And Noah's in this same spot. He's so thankful they made it. I don't know if he understood even to this point, like God had promised, build the ark, God had promised, I'll protect you, God had promised, but you have to We're not seeing a a great interpersonal relationship with God in this moment. He's just doing, Noah's doing what he's told. He heard from the Lord, he obeyed. His obedience is what was the proof of his faith in God, but there's not this interpersonal relationship happening. It's not like we just talked about a couple weeks ago with Melchizedek sitting down with Abram. We're not in this moment where Abram finally speaks back to God and asks questions. We're not there yet. We're in a place where, Noah is existing in this space for a long time. And he finally gets out, and God had already instituted the clean animal, so he takes part of every clean animal and does a burnt offering on an altar. His first act after all the work is done and all the animals are released is to be thankful and worship God. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for my family's life. Thank you, even in all of that frustration he would have had, for that year of being locked up with all of them, he is so overwhelmed with thanksgiving that he builds an altar, builds an altar and he puts some of the clean animals, sustenance, that have been set aside as offerings, and that is, he's been sustained by these animal, clean animal offerings through eating them throughout, and he does a burnt offering. The burnt offering is consuming, the, that fire consumes the entire thing, and we see God say... Or we are told by Moses that Noah and the Lord have this moment and the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. That's not just because it smelled like barbecue. Although I think we could probably make a a biblical connection that good barbecue is pleasing to the Lord. Right? Amen. Thank you. And what we see, especially in Leviticus, and I, this is why I had to get to my notes, we see in Exodus 10, we see in Leviticus 1.9, that there is a, a, there's an institution and a continuation of the burnt offering. This is what my brain was filled with all week. Because I started really contemplating the burnt offerings. I really was trying to think about what, this, what the implications are and what this means as we're talking about different altars. We know that in Revelation 5, I think it's 5.8, that there are bowls filled with the prayers, like the incense of the offerings of all of our prayers, of all of the people that have gone before us, crying out to God. And all of that pain eventually is what the bowls are turned over as the seals are broken. Those bowls are are what fuels the fire to cleanse the earth in the last days. So from this altar to all the times we have been in prayer, are collected in bowls that are used to make it all right. It tells us that God hears all our prayers. God cares deeply for what we're struggling with, our pain, the suffering. Even though he may not give us a miracle today, even though he may not remove it from us today, he cares. It's collected. And that pain, that suffering of the broken world, is used to cleanse the world in the last days. Your grief, your pain, is never For naught, it's never wasted. And so, when we read this about the burnt offering, it literally, like in in Hebrew, the word for burnt offering literally means ascend or go up in smoke. Now, do we really need to do that? Do you need to burn something for God to hear your prayers? Of course not. But it's an act of submission. It's an active remembering. It's an active, it's an active way of having our prayer life. So my brain started going to a million different directions because I I didn't grow up in a church, let alone a liturgical church where, I mean, when we, when you would burn things, there was one time I was part of a burnt offering ceremony, I hate to say. Um, This was early in my faith and early in serving in the church. Um, We were part of a youth group Amber and I led it, and we had this moment where we got wrapped up in that kind of mid-90s, you should get rid of all of your devil music kind of thing before David Crowder and Chris Tomlin and good worship music was out there. We got wrapped up in that kind of movement of uh, garbage in, garbage out, so you need to get rid of your devil music. Um, And we were part of a youth group night where people brought things that were maybe not redeeming or good, and we had a bonfire and people burnt stuff. It was some and looking back, like that was silly because I know half those kids went and just bought those CDs again, like three weeks later. We didn't do a good job of teaching how to discern what is good, what is bad, what is bad, and what you should fill your life with. It just became um, behavior modification. Like you don't need to have access to to things that your, body, your, mind, your mind and your eyes shouldn't see. If you close your eyes and have an imagination, you can picture those things. So it's not like you can just, just burning it gets rid of. It wasn't an altar, it wasn't a sacrifice. It was, it was kind of silly. Now, should you get rid of things that are in your life that you need to like remove them from you and things that are distractions or things that are temptations? Yeah, you should, but just throwing it in a bonfire doesn't necessarily make it holy. Just throw it in the trash. But then I started thinking about the implications of fire. If we trace burnt offerings, and we're going to flesh this out together because I'm still not settled in it. My mind isn't settled. My heart's not settled in it. And maybe I'm on to something new that I need to write a book about, but there's probably a book already out there about it, so I don't need to. How, how many of us love to watch the mountain TV called a campfire? Just sit in the mountains and watch a fire. Or go out back and just be near fire. How many of us like to play with candles? Maybe when you're younger, maybe you're too mature to do that now. But there's something weird. We're drawn to the flame, I think. We're kind of drawn to it. We're kind of drawn to this. Even if it's just like messing with the wax inside the candle and getting wax on your fingers. I know you're supposed to like, what's it called? There's a term for when you're pushing the wax down to keep your candle. I forget the name, what the term is, but hug. Thank you. Thank you. You're hugging the candle. So you're pushing the wax down off the wall so it stays nice and even. And there's a, But you really just want to play. Then you just go buy another candle. You're playing with the candle. You want to burn stuff in, like how, how many, I can't be the only one that when you have a campfire, you're looking for everything under the sun to burn. Well, I know there's a little bit of plastic in that plate, but it's fine. It's fine. It's okay. We'll just put the foil in there. We'll you know that doesn't burn. I know. We'll scoop it out tomorrow, and you never do. Candlelight dinners. just celebrated Valentine's Day this week. Campfires, candlelights, altars, burnt offerings. Even the word go up and smoke or to ascend leads us to Jesus' ascent on the cross. Now, he wasn't burnt on the cross. I'm not saying that. But if the word, the Hebrew word for burnt offering is the same that leads to the ascension, then even Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is a continuation of the burnt offerings we're seeing instituted by Noah here in Genesis chapter 8. That there's something about taking something precious, taking something that's yours, taking something that's a food source and saying, I'm going to sacrifice this food source. I'm going to sacrifice, we're going to see all these different offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings in the next few weeks. They're all leading us to see that in that consummation of the offering is a symbol of the the complete burning of our sin, of our regret. It's also a place of praise and worship, and it's a way for us to try to kind of come together to worship a God that we can't see. We can feel Him. We can know Him through His Word. We can experience Him through other people. We don't see him. There's been a couple times in my life I felt him very, not quite audible, but like, give me, this is what you've got to do. Like, overwhelming, I can't shake it. But in the day to day, when we're praying, sometimes it feels like it's going nowhere, doesn't it? Sometimes. Like, I know it's not true, I know that it, God hears all my prayers. But when you're laboring in grief and you're laboring in tension and I don't understand and what is happening, there are times when you almost feel like God is silent. And sometimes a sweet moment can be making the space around an altar to say, everything is yours, Lord. Now, I'm not saying we literally need to go build altars in our backyards or have fire pits, although that's okay. And then when you want to talk to God, you have to go burn something. I'm not saying that. But there's something very sacred in this moment. The lesson we're being taught from Noah throughout the Old Testament and into the new, it's sealed in the cross. But there's something special and deeply relational happening between God and Noah in this moment. To the point where as Noah sees the need in his heart to build an altar and sacrifice, God receives that, and then he decides in that moment, God the Father decides in that moment to never again strike down every living creature, knowing, he says, that man is evil. From birth, he knows that we have in us a desire for rebellion, to reject him, to walk away, that that's who we are because of the broken world given to us by Adam and Eve. But in this moment, of sacrifice in this moment of understanding it's not about noah god sees that he smells it he tastes it he's like they get it as messed up as they will be as often as they will stray from me in these moments i know they get it i know they get it and so for us it's very it's the same Like, how often do we have thoughts that are far from God? Dark or even just selfish? How often do we have actions that are far from God? And He knows that about us. He knows everything about us. And in those small moments where we say, Yes, Lord, I'm sorry, Lord. This isn't of you, Lord. I can't believe I went there, Lord. I'm going to serve in this capacity, I'm going to help this neighbor. I'm going to walk in this way. I'm going to give up some of my time to be closer to you. And maybe even sit around a campfire and contemplate. I was thinking back of all the the times that I've been around um, fires with men and women, family and friends, and great conversations happened. It doesn't even require adult beverages. It's just the setting sitting around, nobody's on their phones, nobody's watching TV, nobody's distracted. You're just sitting around the fire, laughing, having a good time, talking. Our friends in Ohio, some of our, our best friends in the world, um, been friends for almost 20 years now, uh, they have a, a, a natural gas giant fire pit outside by their pool. And over the years, we've been back and forth and visited them, they visited us. And we go back and we find ourselves every single time sitting around that fire till way late in the evening just talking. There's something about it. Having a fireplace in your house, having a spot where you can, for me lately, like I have, it's actually in the back. I keep forgetting to take it home. It's too cold for me to use it right now. I have a propane little fire pit because I'm I'm weird and I don't like to always smell like smoke. Sometimes I just like to have a fire. And so I, it's, it, we used it for the youth for the church. We used it a couple of times, and I love sitting around that thing. Doesn't put off a great amount of heat, but it's just. And so I, I don't have that at the house so here lately. I've been lighting a candle. House is quiet, um, especially when the kids aren't with me, and I need. I feel drawn to. I need to pray. I need to spend some time with God, and I'm too easily distracted by all the stuff that's around me. And so I just light a candle. And sit at the kitchen table and pray. Sometimes I break out my journal, which is on my laptop, and I'll write my journal with the candle lit. I prefer. uh, I know this is maybe too much inside baseball, but I like the ones that have like the wood wicks that crackle a little bit. Makes me feel like I'm in a campfire a little bit. There's a little sound happening. I know that's super cheesy, and maybe I just lost my man card, but. (laughs) But there's something about that a little bit of noise that helps me. And I've found some really precious moments with the Lord sitting around a candle that's making some crackling noises here lately. We see um, in Exodus 29, there was an offering, uh, a call for every morning and every evening to do a burnt offering. We see in Numbers 28 that every Sabbath there was a burnt offering offering. We see in Numbers twenty-eight, eleven, the beginning of every month, there was a burnt offering. In verse 19, at Passover, when the new grain or first fruits happened, um, there was a feast of weeks and there was a burnt offering. At the feast of trumpets at Rosh Hashanah, no, in Numbers 29, we see a burnt offering. In the new moon, we see that there was a burnt offering. And that's just a few. But there was a pattern in the people of God remembering all the way back to Noah and having a time of burnt offerings. Now, I am not advocating for us to have a fire pit in the center of the stage and to start bringing animals in and sacrificing them. Now, what would happen is half this crew would butcher them and we'd eat them every Sunday, but, but we're not doing that. What I do think is when we see even entering into the New Testament narrative or the New Testament story following out of the Genesis narrative, through Numbers, through Exodus. Like, think about the implications of fire even in, even in the Exodus. God presented himself as a fire by night in the clouds to protect, and he presented himself as a cloud to block the sun during the day. We get into Jesus ascending to heaven, and then 40 days later we have the day of Pentecost, and what was dancing upon the heads of all the disciples? The Holy Spirit presented himself as Fire they received the Holy Spirit as fire. And then they were energized and they were equipped and they were empowered and they took off and spread the name of Jesus like they'd never thought about doing before. We don't see a lot of fire talk through the epistles. There's kind of in there, but kind of not really. And then we see in the Exodus, or no, sorry, into Revelation, that the offerings, the burnt offerings have been collected, the prayers have been collected, and that's going to be The the instrument in which the earth is purged and God makes it new again. There's something about the fire, and I haven't quite got it fleshed out. You're going to have a front row seat over the next few weeks of me trying to figure this out. I can't stop thinking about it. And so for us, I think what we need to try to focus on or think about um, as we walk down this road is having some space. In the New Testament, Paul calls our bodies to be living sacrifices. In 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, some translations say I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That our whole bodies are to be... Instruments of spiritual sacrifice. We are, not the burnt, like don't, we are the offering. Our bodies are a living sacrifice. We don't have to go and put animals onto an altar and sacrifice them. We are the sacrifice. It's our spiritual act of worship. It's our way of worshiping God that's saying, everything I got, everything I am, all that I am is yours, Lord. That I'm going to orient my life to serving, to helping, to making much of you, and where I fail and where I mess up, even my whole life. Like, Have you ever, have you ever been overwhelmed by the, the fact that God knows all of your thoughts? That terrifies me, if I'm honest. Like a, a lot of my thoughts, I'd love to tell you that, that 80% of my thoughts are redeeming and of the Lord. On most days, if I can make it to 15%, I'm probably ahead of the curve. Like, I have twisted, dark, I have evil thoughts, I have thoughts about people, I have thoughts about situations, I have, if I, I can get ranty, I can get, like, I, it's all in here. And I know I'm not alone. And if my body and my life and my thought life is all supposed to be a spiritual act of worship to God, I've got a long way to go. Are there practices that I need to put in place so I can connect more? Yeah, there are. And I'm not burning things every night as an act of contrition to the Lord. It's my whole life. And so we have to be good at centering ourselves because this is the call on us. This is the call in our lives. That our lives are centered on this surrender. That the act of sacrifice that we experience in helping others, giving to others, not being selfish, is just as powerful as taking that burnt offering to the altar. It's our whole lives. And the Lord gives us, we don't know how much time. 20 years? 90 years? Who knows? We don't know. But this is just a, a fraction of a second into our eternity with Him. So while we're here, we should endeavor in all the ways we can to make much of Him and not ourselves. That's our act of worship. Making sure that He's the center of it all. And what we really see in this moment With Noah at the altar is he's surrendering everything to God. He's been through all that tension. He's been on that road trip. And in that moment, he could have just ran. I'm stretching my legs, I'm going on a walkabout, I'm taking off, I'm gonna see what you did, Lord. And in that, even in that moment, after he does all the work, he has this act of surrender and thankfulness in this moment. And so the question I have for you as you leave this place is: do you make space for that kind of surrender? And it can look different in all of our lives. For me, I've just really been enjoying the practice of lighting a candle. I don't believe that when I light the candle and sit there and pray that, it's, it, that that's, you're not literally inviting Christ into this moment, but he's because he's already there. But it's a focused way. Some of you, it's going to be a walk. It's going to be a quiet chair in your house. It's going to be a moment in the evening when everything settles down in the hectic part of your life. And you can just take a breath I remember those days when there were toddlers in the house and you just want to catch your breath. I got a small taste of that yesterday by helping babysit for three hours. (laughs) And I quickly repented of thinking I was ready to be a grandparent. (laughs) Because it is so nice that when your kids get to the age where they can they can wipe their own butts. They can take their own showers. They can feed themselves. They can put their clothes away. It is so nice, <laughs> and to not be covered in the stickiness of what all the kids touch. They want to grab you. You're like, oh yeah, I'll hold your hand. Awesome. <laughs> I forget what's where going. Where's that moment of breath? Taking a breath. What is it for you? Some of you, it's mornings. you start your day, you're up before everyone, you have that amazing cup of coffee or a cup of tea or whatever you drink, and then you're just sitting for 30 minutes in silence before the rest of the house wakes up. It's kind of nice. Or maybe it's the end of the night, you finally got everybody to bed, everybody's, it's all calmed down, you can take a breath, and you're laying in bed, you get to read for a little bit, it's nice. Lunch breaks. Times in the middle of the day, road trips, vacations. In all of those moments, where do you carve out some space like Noah did after all the busyness to just be present with God? And I would would encourage you to explore what that looks like for you. For me, it's, it's been vastly different over the years. The drive from my house to my place of work, whether it's in West Virginia or here, has always been about 15 minutes. And so a long time ago, I redeemed that. said, this is, I'm just gonna quiet myself and prepare to enter into the next spot. When the kids are really little, I'm leaving work, trying to leave that behind, and then being prepared that when I walk into the house, I need to be full on with my family. Now, for a lot of years, sometimes the family wasn't even there. They got sports they got stuff they got other things going on and so it's different i'm preparing myself for the rest of the day i'm giving what i've dealt with during the day to the lord i'm trying to get myself ready for whatever you make changes in your schedule bow hiking has been really good for me over the last several years i messed it up this year by getting my elk on opening day Typically, I have about 10 days in September where I'm walking around the woods with a bow in my hand, sometimes with a friend and sometimes by myself. I treasure those days. This year felt like I got to get it done. A fly rod in my hand, a long walk, sitting on my deck and watching the sunrise or sitting on the other side and watching the sunset. What is it for you? And I would grab it, and as we go through this Lent season, try to focus on whatever space and practice that you have in those moments and say, yes, Lord, in this moment, for this time, it's just me and you. If you only got five minutes, grab the five minutes. What is it? Because we're not building altars. We're not burning up animals. That time has passed. Jesus has ascended. We're not required that. but We're required our lives. And for me to to sit in that weight of knowing that my whole life is an act of worship, I need to be connected to the Father. Or I'm going to mess it up. I mean, I I do anyway, but I need to be more connected. I'm less likely to mess it up worse if I'm connected to the Father. So what is it for you? That's your homework for the week. These practices of like fasting that we're kind of going to go through for four weeks, that's just one tool in the toolbox of the practices of being connected to God. It's not just about not eating. It's about having a hunger for the Lord. Because sometimes it doesn't require not eating. It's just taking the time to say, yes, Lord. And we're going to do that practice as in smaller groups, and then we're going to continue looking at these different offerings as we kind of push through Lent. And so I hope you'll find a practice that becomes something that you'll do often. And then when we come to Easter Sunday, we celebrate, we celebrate his sacrifice, we celebrate his ascension, we celebrate that we're saved by grace through faith alone. It should taste even the more sweeter. All right, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Um, I'm so thankful that you give us these pictures in your word of practices and heart postures and um, powerful ways in which we connect to you and we all have our own personalities that you've given us we all have our own past we all have our own journeys that you have allowed in our lives and so we all um, have different ways that we speak to you and you speak to us best so I pray you help us to identify that the universal truth is that you want to talk to your kids and you love it when we talk to you So help us, Lord, to to figure out um, the ways in which we can carve out space for you because we are distracted more than we've ever been before. And I pray, Lord, that as we carve those spaces out, that we would grow in love with you in deeper and abiding ways and that our lives would be reflections of worship to you in ever-increasing moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.